You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to episode 207, or not episode, day 217 and 218. I believe we're episode 109. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Welcome. Yeah, we're doing it. (laughs) All right. So uh, if you're listening to this episode, you already know what we do here. (laughs) So I doubt many people are jumping in now, but just in case you're jumping in, uh, we're talking about the Bible. Yes. And going straight through it and with a one-year reading program. And so you have found us in the middle of First Chronicles, First Corinthians, and Psalm. Yeah. So let's get into our Old Testament book today, Matt. Our Old Testament reading for today is First Chronicles chapter 19 through chapter 23. We've got a good amount of chapters. It does. First Chronicles keeps on giving. Yeah. Remember, we always have to say this because you can't really rem- you can't say it too many times that this book is written after they have been taken captive, and they being Judah. So Thank Israel you. was taken captive by the Assyrians, yes, a hundred and something years earlier, and then is- uh, Ju- Judah, the southern kingdom, which was the- where David's lineage uh, ruled. They were taken away by the Babylonians, mm-hmm. and then they, after a hundred years or so of being captive, they were brought back to, they came back, mm-hmm. the remnant of Israel came back to reestablish the temple and Jerusalem, the city of David, and so that's when Chronicles is being written, mm-hmm. and so the chronicler is uh, now in the middle of going through David's reign. Yes. Which was the greatest reign in the history of God's people. Yes. is the only time of peace, of prosperity, of victory, of domestic and international, like, victory. Well, yeah, and then Solomon, but... Right, Solomon too. So there's 80 years Mm -hmm. where it was just like the golden generation got to live through that. Yes. And so that's what the chronicler is talking about, and... And um, he's telling us now about this scene. We read it in First Kings mm-hmm. where David, um, one of his alliances, really, yeah. the Ammonites, he had made deals with their king. And, so you, and then also the Ammonites come from Lot. Okay. So just as a remember, like they're still kind of like pseudo-related. That's actually really helpful because mm-hmm. they act a little bit like Lot did with Abraham. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It's like they had peace. Well, the king of the Ammonites dies and his son takes the throne David sends mourners. He says, hey, I had I had good relationships with your dad. I want to maintain that. I'm really sorry he died, like genuinely. Mm-hmm. And uh, his son, the king of the Ammonites' son, I forget his name. I don't even think it matters. Right? Uh, Hanun. Hanun totally is, his advisors say, don't trust this David guy. And so they humiliate the messengers yeah. by shaving their heads and beards and then cutting out basically the... The, the crotch. The crotch of their robes. <laughs> yes. So send sending them back, them back. And apparently this, I mean, this would be very humiliating and, and upsetting in our day mm-hmm. if you cut out the crotch of my jeans and shaved my head and sent me back home. So just imagine it's probably even that much more disgraceful back then. So then David's like, what's going on? And in the meantime, Hanun decides to pay like mercenaries from Syria. From Syria. Yeah. So Hanun's like a little, a punk. He's a punk kid. A punk. A punk. Hanun is a punk. Uh, and so true. So he does this punk move with David, thinking, 
why do we have to be vassal? Because they were a vassal state to right. Israel at this point. And they're like, why? Like, they're not strong enough. But then he, after he makes this move and realizes, ooh, that might have been a mistake, he gets scared, he gets nervous, and so he hires out um, some mercenaries from, a Se- from Syria. And so the Syrians show up, and, and David sends out his commander, Joab, and his brother, Abishai, yeah. his nephews, David's nephews, to go out and fight this battle. Because as them. a result of them uh, hiring these guys, there's a two-front war. Yes. And so really, the Ammonites are just kind of being, they're puffing up. Yeah. So you know what, it, nobody can defeat an enemy from both sides. Mm-hmm. But Joab and Abishai, how do you say his name? Abishai. Abishai, they're ready for it. Mm-hmm. And they all run away. Yeah, I love, I mean, again, I think Joab said this in... I think this was uh, in Kings, but his statement is, uh, be strong and let us use our strength for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. Yeah, so good. So it's just like a good, solid statement of, we're just going to do what we can, and we'll see what God does. The Lord's with us. Which I is, love that statement. Which is how we live. I, I, yes, seriously. Like If you can get that in your head of just mm-hmm. just do what you can, Invite God into it, and you just see what God has. Yeah, does. You get, and you go into it with courage. Yeah, and because God's with you, that's yeah, it. That's it. Or you can spend all your time trying to make sure everything's perfect before you ever do anything. Mm-hmm. In which case, it will never be perfect. Right. Long story short, uh, the Syrians are upset by this humiliation. They start to. David gets wind that they're going to fight them. David just runs out to battle, mm-hmm. sends Joab. They thrash the Syrians. Mm-hmm. But our beef isn't with the Syrians. And so it's like, hey, be cool, Syria. Yes. And Syria's like, all right, we'll pay tribute. We're just kind of a, we're not being taken over or yeah. plundered by you, Israel, yeah. but we're We'll we're leave cool. you alone. And, yeah. we'll, and we'll kind of be vassal, a vassal state to you. Yeah, in I sense. mean, they just retreat back to the yeah. north. Um, but the Ammonites did not get out so lucky. They mm-hmm. are rebellious and hard-hearted. So David ransacks their city and to the point of putting on the the humongous crown of their king of Hanun. on his head. Yes. And so they become uh, workers, mm-hmm. slave workers, basically, for Israel. And so all I think this is just reported um, to say, look, the Lord continues to fight for his people. Yeah, and then we get a brief thing of the Philistines kind of yeah. rearing their heads back up. Because, again, if you remember, uh, historically, like Bethlehem and uh, the Valley of the Raphim, which is right in the heart of Judah... Uh, was originally these this land of giants that Caleb and uh, a lot of the men of Judah just wiped out, and so the Philistines are constantly trying to take that land yeah, back over. Giants. <clears throat> did you um, did you catch that David apparently had a brother who struck down a giant as yes. well? Yes. It's kind of cool. So like, one of David's brothers struck down a giant. David struck down Goliath, of mm-hmm. course. Anyway. It's all to say that the Lord continues to slay giants for his people mm-hmm. and all who will follow him. Yes. So things are going well. And, and then we get to chapter 21. Chapter 21, I will just kind of tease it out here. This, what David does here is worse than his sin with Bathsheba, yeah. where he commits adultery, kills, kills her husband. Um, now, traditionally, that's not what I've thought. I've always right. been like, wow, David's like a murderer. Mm-hmm. But after reading Kings and reading this, you realize... Oh, no. As king of Israel, the very worst thing you could possibly do is done here. And he's incited by the adversary known as Satan. Mm -hmm. The, there's like an indefinite article, which is the adversary Mm -hmm. against God's people. And we call him Satan. And he tempts David to 
do a thing that I dare say almost every church across the world might do every Sunday. Yes. Which is count their people. Uh huh. Now I think it's a little different, but is it? Is it? That's my question. So let me just, let's just catch everybody up on yes. what I'm talking about. The facts of this case. I mean, he just so so David's saying. I he tells Joab, "Hey, I want a census of all my people, of all my people, of all my military strength." He's trying to find out how big and bad am I really? How strong am I? And, and I want to know. And if I'm strong, then that will dictate my decisions. Yes. See, that's the key. Like, yes. if I have a lot of warriors, then I know I can beat the Ammonites. I can beat yes. the Syrians. If I don't, then I won't. Mm-hmm. Now, it seems subtle, right? Because this is how all of us live. Mm-hmm. If I have enough money, I'll buy this. I, we count things. We right. count sales. We count money. We count people. We count pounds. Mm-hmm. And we feel good, bad, safe, or uh, unsafe because of it. Right. And I think this is why it's such a big sin. Because God's trying to break that mentality right. for his people. You are not safe or beautiful or received and accepted by the number on the scale, the number in your bank, the number of your army. The number the n- of followers on your social media oh, account. Oh, yeah. See, I'm so... Wow. <laughs> the number of people... For me, it's the number of people in church. That yeah. is not your definition of success. And when it is, you now are outside of the camp of God mm-hmm. because that's not what we do. You are successful because God is with you. Yeah, and what's interesting is Joab, who we know from Kings is kind of a gray character, uh, is very emphatically like, do not do this. Like, may the Lord bless us and add a hundred times more to our numbers, but don't don't count. See, I don't think Joab is gray. gray. I think he's the opposite. I think he's very black and white, which is his problem okay. politically. So politically, you have to, like David compromises and mm-hmm, make deals. Mm-hmm. But as I'm getting to know Joab from the, from Chronicles, he is, you die or you don't die. Mm-hmm. So like all those episodes where David's doing a deal with one of the enemies and David's like, oh no, we're friends now. And Joab just kills him. Mm-hmm. He can't be friends. Right. And so he, Joab's... Oh, you're right. Okay, I see what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, so Joab's yeah. not a politician, which is his downfall. Mm-hmm. So he hurts himself by being so black and white. But he is a warrior and black and white is what you need to do. Right. Push the button, pull the trigger or don't, but don't stand there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Joab, though, what I thought was interesting is Joab understands that counting a census is not what the Lord wants. That's the one thing that's weird is yeah. how does Joab know this? And David's like, I don't care, Joab. Yeah, he says, why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? It's like he knew if you do this thing, we're, you're becoming like every other king with other, another god. And this guilt's going to rest on all of Israel. No, because the David and Bathsheba thing didn't rest on all Israel. That's on him and his family. Yes. So um, basically then, just like like, uh, Nathan shows up to tell David about Bathsheba's Mm -hmm. sin, you have another guy show up, Gad the Seer. And I think it, I'm still thinking that might be a good band name. Yeah, I love it. Gad the Seer shows up and he's like, hey, uh, David, okay, Here's the deal. The Lord says, go tell David, here's the consequences for this sin of, mm-hmm. of counting your warriors. And by the way, Joab did not count the Levites or Benjamites. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, Joab was like, I'm not doing that. He shorted them. Yeah. He shorted them. So like, uh, anyway, so he shows up and he goes, here's the consequences of your sin. You get to choose, David. Mm-hmm. Three years of famine over all of Israel or three months of military defeat where you die by the sword. Or three days of the sword of the Lord mm-hmm. coming through the land. Almost like, it reminded me of Egypt. 
Yes. You know, like yes. the, uh, the angel, angel of, of death. death coming over. But it's uh, pestilence, basically. Like mm-hmm. there's some kind of plague or something that will just wipe out. Yeah. And so David then um, repents. And he gets it. I mean, he's like, oh, I think he's already repenting before that, isn't he? Or no, he repents. And and his repentance is always, I think it's so beautiful. Like he, he doesn't just say, oh, I'm sorry. He gets it. He's like, mm-hmm. it was me. Don't be against my people. Don't be against the sheep. Be, you know, protect your people. Like it was definitely me. He does. He he chooses to fall in the hand of of God and over yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, his choice then is. I didn't say that for everybody listening. He chooses the three days of pestilence because he knows famine. the The world is a cold and cruel place, mm-hmm. and the waves will crush you. Doesn't matter. And so famine will just hurt everybody. Military defeat, you can't control. But he can cry out for mercy to the Lord. You're right. So he is a wise mm-hmm. guy in choosing his punishment because he's like, at mm-hmm. least I can cry out to the Lord. And then also, I always thought it was just wise because three days is better than... <laughs> it's quick and like, yeah. you know, just yes. spank me. Don't ground me for right. a month. <laughs> Did right. you ever do that as a kid? Uh, Did you ever get like a choice of being grounded or spanked? I don't think I've I don't ever know offered if, a choice. I don't know if I was either. I just remember with my kids, it was like, uh, Lowry once was so freaked out we were going to take away like digital or something was a real little kid and he's like just spank me spank me and we're like uh no <laughs> I don't want to anyway and no because he's like just give me the punishment now so I can have my digital back <sighs> anyway it's pretty classic um, so uh, yeah yeah I mean 70,000 Die. die because of so think about this 70,000 people die because he counted mm-hmm. it's so hard for our brains to see that right. it's not capricious those guys get it they yes. understand they're like this was a huge sin yes but to us we're like I mean I get adultery because we're constantly adulterating or something <laughs> I don't know why we get that one <laughs> but we cannot understand this counting one yeah and to be honest I the only thing I come up with is we look to anything for strength, mm-hmm. and that is the biggest weakness. So honestly, mm-hmm. reading this, I was repenting like, oh, God, have mercy on me. I rely on numbers so much to mm-hmm. feel like things are going well or not going well right. instead of just trusting the Lord and experiencing his presence with me through the Holy Spirit. Uh, but through this whole incident, yeah. and I think even the reason it's in Chronicles is we get the setup to the site of where... The yeah. future temple is going to be. And so uh, the angel is going through the land, and David actually sees it with his sword stretched out over the Standing land. Standing between heaven and earth. Yeah, and he sees it, and God decides to relent. And he's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not killing any more of my people. And he relents, and he sees it, and then it's on... Uh, Ornan, yeah, Ornan the Jebusite, yes, uh, which is interesting because that means he was a Canaanite that was originally part of Jerusalem, yeah, he's not driven out. He's the Jebusite, that's why David has to, he says, I'll pay you full price for this, yes, because at first you read it, you go, Why is David paying? Oh, because he just wants to make it his, but then you realize, Oh, the guy's a Jebusite, yeah, he's not of Israel, no, no, I know, so this is the site where the temple is going to be built, yeah, and so he sees it. They mourn, they fall on their faces, and they basically, he buys this place, and he says, uh, I do like when he's, Ornan's trying to give him the land, right, just the take plot, it. but he says, no, 
I will buy it for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Yeah. And I do like that idea of, like, I'm not going to sacrifice something that wasn't an actual sacrifice for me. Which is an interesting thing on giving. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the widow's might, and that's what Jesus is saying. You give from your poverty. Mm -hmm. Like, you can give money or give time or whatever, but if it's of no value to you anyway, it doesn't matter. It's safe. It's meaningless. No, we give at cost. Right. And But I did think, too, I had a throwback moment to Jonah. And it's like God relents from yeah. destroying Nineveh. And then you see God relenting here of mm-hmm. destroying. So I wonder if like even they're thinking something like that. Like when Jonah does go to Nineveh, he knows the story of when God relented. Yeah, He's yeah. like, I knew you would relent. You right. relented over us, and now you're going to relent over them, and you should just kill them. Well, one other cool thing that's always buried in here is, so he takes the sacrifice that he buys, yeah. and he sets it up, and... God actually consumes it with fire of heaven to show David, I've relented, yes. and I have heard you, and I've accepted this as a sacrifice, and this is now a holy place. And I was trying to think, where else? Like, I remember this idea of fire coming down. I know Elijah had fire come down. Uh, it was received when he did his big thing. But then there was also was a judge, remember? Samson's parents? There was like a judge. Yeah, there's like... Two, at Samson's least parents? two or three times where fire comes down, and it, it means God has received. And then we'll see it again when Solomon dedicates the temple. And then you see it again at Pentecost when there's fire mm-hmm. that rests on the heads right. of the apostles. I receive their offering. These mm-hmm. people are my offering. So but, David says, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. And so now in chapter 22 and 23, we see David kind of gathering up, very intentionally organizing and setting up the future building materials for the temple and the strategy and the organization for which to do it so his son Solomon can be successful in the endeavor. Yeah, I mean, it's even listed down to nails and the materials. Like, he's Mm -hmm. gathering through his relationships. He's gathering that. He's securing peace because God has very clearly said, David, you're not going to build the temple Mm -hmm. uh, because you're a man of war. And you can take that to mean, oh, because he has all his blood on his hands. But we were talking... Earlier, like Mm -hmm. Solomon also had blood on his hands. And so we think the idea here is you still are securing the borders of a unified Israel and you're leading people into war. We want to build this temple when there's total peace. Yes. And you're not having to try to put something together. It gets disturbed. It's uh, kind of dishonored. And you can spend 25 years building a a great structure. And and, um, I was thinking, though, like what's cool about this is David comes out of this as the true battle lines for him as king of Israel are, you know, are you going to live like every other nation and just count on your your army of soldiers? Right. Or are you going to be led by God trusting in um, the priests, those who offer, uh, connect you to God mm-hmm. and offer up the, the sins and receive forgiveness? Right. And so David's... In this, in these chapters, anyway, I think he's organizing not only the temple, a place for worship, and he's setting up his son, and he's saying, "Solomon, you're a man of rest, and and be strong and courageous. Fear not. Don't be dismayed." There's like, there's like a throwback to Joshua because we're entering into this time where we're no longer in a tabernacle. We're gonna be in a real temple. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so cool, right? And then he organizes his new army of. You know, it's like the army, spiritual army of the priests, the Levites. And he goes, you guys used to carry the tabernacle. And it's kind of been in disarray for 400 years because we're not moving the tabernacle Mm -hmm. around anymore. But you're going to take care of the the temple and breaks everything down 
for what they're going to do, taking care of the bread. And then there's even a, a line in there where you're going to be um, giving thanks in the morning and then giving yeah. praise at night, like this nonstop kind of prayer and mm-hmm. praise. And so uh, it's just, it was really cool. David comes out of that. He made it at yeah. the cost of a great loss. It was a war yeah. between God and the devil. And David went with the devil there when he counted his army. Yes. And now he trusts the Lord, and now he's setting up the Lord's army, and its its primary base is going to be at the temple. I did have to laugh, though. You know, you read this stuff, and I always laugh about that that phrase people say about, and I think we talked about it earlier uh, when we were going through Exodus, mm-hmm. but um, the phrase organized religion. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny to me. Like, I'm not really into organized religion, which is funny because... Everything in your life is organized. Right. You know, I mean, like, if you if people just cut in front of you at Starbucks, mm-hmm. y- you realize how um, addicted you are to coffee and to organized uh, sales. Anyway, it's just funny. And God is very organized because it's through this organization that things get done and mm-hmm. the real glory of the Lord is secured and the next yeah. generations are secured. So it's important. Anyway, uh, David, man, I just uh, I'm just still wrestling with, uh, you have to check the motivation of your heart when you're looking at numbers. I know we're going to still look at numbers like bank accounts and people in church. Yeah, yeah. But when you start to feel anxiety mm-hmm. and you start, or you start to feel hopelessness, that's where you look at those numbers and how low they are. And you go, God, what was that line you had halfway through our talk? Like, I'm going to go into this with you. I'm going to yeah. do my best. I'm going to save money. I'm going to try to get... do what he will. I'm trying to win people to Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to feed the sheep but I can't make people come to church. I can't right. make people buy my product. And so we trust you. Mm-hmm. And that's where we land. And so, um, cool. Our New Testament today. Our New Testament reading for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 2. And of course, uh, as we get into Paul's letter, it does kind of dovetail with the Old Testament in your mind. Mm-hmm. It has to do with how you're thinking about things. Yeah. And Paul, of course, uh, in I mean, I always forget how great First Corinthians, the early chapters are, because we I always remember chapter thirteen, the right. love chapter, right, or fifteen, right. the resurrection chapter. But these are great because mm-hmm. he's saying, long story short, again, is we have the spirit of God, yeah. the mind of God. Yes. And and now we'll go back and kind of break down how we get to that conclusion and why it's important. So again, he's he's in Ephesus. He's heard some things about the church in Corinth that there's some splits and divisions, and people are claiming I follow this leader, I follow that leader, da 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 da. And he's trying to remind everyone, no, no, you just follow Christ. You're united in Christ. Stop seeking after what everyone else is seeking after in the world. Stop trying to find all this secret knowledge and wisdom and be reminded and rooted in the wisdom that you have which is the wisdom of christ well in this in this section too he he just basically sets up the argument there's folly uh or man's wisdom versus folly versus power right Mm -hmm. the power of god and true wisdom god saves he says god saves through the foolishness of preaching i always like that verse Mm -hmm. Because again, you have he, they're following different preachers, and and Apollos makes a lot more sense than you, in a world where oration is king. So yes. like, there's no TV, there's no like literature going around so much. There is a little bit, but it's or you have to think of Socrates and Plato, yeah. and that's the the lineage they're coming from. So oration is everything. And here comes Paul, this zealous 
Pharisee who's uh, not really even created to be an orator, but he is wicked smart. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he's like, look, I speak as a fool. I'm trembling. My only message is Christ crucified. Right. That's it. And so I didn't come to you. But then he turns it. He's like, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. And the Jews look for signs. Mm -hmm. And the Gentiles or the the Greeks really look for wisdom. Yes. And so uh, he's like... But I bring Christ crucified, which is a scandal. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's a, it's the Jews. Stumbling block for the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Right, because they're going, both camps would be going, why would your leader be defeated on a cross? That's yeah. humiliating. Why, why didn't he do a miracle? And the other one's like, it's just not wise to lead something by dying. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the whole thing is foolishness to the mind without the spirit. Yes. But Paul's thing is, um, God chooses the foolish to. To yeah. show the wise, like yeah. so that there's no boasting. Mm-hmm. See, like, this is something that we kind of got in Romans because there's conflict between Jews and Gentiles. Right. But even now with the Gentile church, it's about it's not Jew or Gentile. It's about who's wise and who's dumb. You know, yeah. who's stupid. And so this whole movement is going to look stupid to the world, and they're right. trying to deal with that. Like, hey, man, we're we're experiencing victory. Mm-hmm. We're experiencing prosperity and healing. So we got to make this look smart to our world because that's the value in Corinth. Right. And Paul's going, no, no, no. We all come in. Not, not many of you are born a noble status. Not many of you are born smart or in these things. And praise God. Because when we go before God, we don't boast like, oh, I was wicked smart. And I was this and that. Yeah. It's like, no. I reason my way to you. And then those of us who aren't that smart are like, I'm not that smart. Oh, I don't know mm-hmm. if I can ever find God. See, he's going both sides. And he's like, no. Uh, there's no boasting before Christ. You're mm-hmm. all in here because of the work of Christ. Right. And uh, so he even uses his own uh, lack of oration skill yeah. to show, like, look, I'm not that great, and yet you, the Spirit, something within my words, the words of God have transformed your hearts, have yeah. have turned you, have changed you, are working within you, have uh, become something great inside of you. And this is what we believe, mm-hmm. even to this day, about preaching. That preaching is proclaiming the Word of God, mm-hmm. that the Spirit uses the Word of God to save those who believe. Right. And that we receive the Spirit by submitting, believing on Christ, confessing Him mm-hmm. with our mouth, believing in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we receive the Spirit. And then he, so he's saying, look, this is the distinction for you, Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Not that you're wise and not that you see miracles, but that you have the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. And here's what the Spirit does. This is in verse uh, 10. He's revealed to us through the Spirit. So for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, right? Yes. So he's using us to, to make this point. Mm-hmm. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Right. So you can't comprehend the Spirit of God. Then you fast forward. He says, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may freely uh, understand these things given us by God. And then, blah, 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 go to the end. And he says, but we have the mind of Christ. I shouldn't blah, blah, blah the scripture, but you know what I mean. He builds this case to go, here is the only distinction you have. You have the mind of Christ. Right. The Spirit of God is his mind. Mm-hmm. It's his heart. That's why in the Spirit, when we read the Word of God, it it warms us. It encourages us. It gives us hope. It gives us love. Like, and we start to walk in the Spirit. And I think he even says here, uh, 
Oh, no, that was the Old Testament where we need to seek the things of God. Yeah. But it's the same thing here. Seek the mind of Christ by the power of the Spirit. Like, yeah. And you know what the Spirit says first and foremost? I love you. You ask God. God, forgive me my sins. I love you. What do you want to say to me? And if the word comes to your mind, I love you, that is from God. Mm-hmm. But this is the difference between um, spiritual people and spiritually the discerned, is how he says it. The natural person and the, the natural, spiritual person. The natural person doesn't have the spirit of God, therefore cannot know the mind of God. So the only, the only tools they have are wisdom or miracles, and they're always trying to work. That's why, mm-hmm. that's why in our um, apologetics or when you're engaging in conversations with non-believers, they're always coming at it from, and their faith is in facts mm-hmm. or in wisdom or logic. And we always go to our experience mm-hmm. because we've been born again. And so how do you fight with someone about your experience of being born again? You don't. You say, look, all I know is I once was blind, but now I see. Mm-hmm. Well, that's impossible. Where are your parents? Right. Anyway, yeah, you have so, the mind of Christ. So having the spirit of God, the mind of Christ, we can now begin to understand the thoughts of God and the reason of God that seems foolish to us, which is he came down as a man and died for his people to restore a relationship between God and man. That's it. And that's why, Paul, this whole thing, too, is about be united. Mm-hmm. You share the same mind. Yeah. And I was thinking yesterday when we were talking at church, mm-hmm. the idea that the church always looks weak and yes. confused because it's full of sinners. Right. But Jesus looked weak and confused as he was dying on the cross. Yeah. And so um, we don't look to the church and, and say, oh, it's a mess. We look to Christ in the church. And it's like, of course it's a mess. And he's interceding and he's giving us the mind. And we are gathered on one unifying thought, Christ crucified and resurrected for you. Yeah. Cool. Today I'll be reading... Psalm chapter 91, verses 9 through 16. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Boom, you've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.